0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. And so as we kick off this brand new series, Ben Don't Break, we're kind of taking a look at how are things going throughout the year for you? Kind of the halfway point of the year. So I've got a question for you. How are things going in 2021 for you? What's the halftime score of 2021 look like for you? I don't know what you started the year off thinking about, like what kind of goals you set. I'm not sure exactly what it was that you were hoping to achieve in 2021, but my feeling is for many people, you get halfway through the year and you begin to evaluate, how am I doing with all of those things? And here's the challenge, I think for all of us, no matter your if you're a church person or not a church person, by the way, I know there are some people here at church for the very first time, maybe the first time in a long time. Good news for you, I'm not here on a regular basis. So if it doesn't go well this morning, come back next Sunday, because Jono will be back, the regular guy will be back, and you'll be able to check out what Suncoast is really like. But how are things going for you? How are things going? Whether you're a church person or not a church person, we all live in a culture that I think focuses primarily mostly on external measurements. When you think about it, most of our culture, we focus on external measurements, like these three up here. What, what we do, maybe what we have, perhaps what other people think or say about us. Those are some of the ways that we oftentimes measure how we're doing, kind of the scoreboard of life. So when you think about it, the scoreboard of 2021 for you right now in the middle of the year, halfway through, maybe you're thinking to yourself, what what have I done this year? What have I accomplished? Have I gained anything this year? Has my bank account grown? Has my influence grown? Have people that know me talk about me more? Do they talk about me in a positive way? Do I have more followers on social media that are talking about me, sharing my posts? maybe tagging me, I don't know what it is for you, but we live in this culture that quite frankly focuses primarily on external things. And when I think about this series that we're kicking off today, this idea of bending but not breaking, when you just continue to focus on external things constantly every single day, I believe it leads to a path not of bending but of actually breaking in life. So I don't know whether that's a focus for you or not, but here's a question that I think is helpful to understand what you kind of focus on, whether it's external or internal things. Here's the question that I want you to ask yourself. Don't text in your response, by the way. What do you wake up thinking about? What do you wake up thinking about? Is it what I've got to get done today? Is it places I have to be today? People that I have to meet with today or maybe like so many of us we wake up and we we reach for a device to check what other people are saying about us possibly what other people think about us what is it that when you wake up in the morning what's that first thing that comes to your mind here's what I know to be true when you focus on those external things like I've done most of my life because of the culture that I was raised in, in the culture that we live in, quite frankly, the pressure to be thinking externally all the time is constant whether you're a guy or a girl, whether you're young or old, whether you're married or single, whether you call yourself a church person or you want nothing to do with church. The pressure to think externally all the time and to measure things by external factors all the time is a pressure that we all are under, no matter where you're at in life. And I've been down that road, and I'm telling you, this is a pathway that leads to breaking. This leads to breaking in life over and over again, because here's what we end up doing. We end up trying to do more so that we can maybe earn a little bit more, so that we can have more, so that then the people around us might think more of us and maybe speak more highly of us. And it's kind of this rat race that we're all constantly facing, we're constantly chasing after this kind of bigger, better, constant more-ism, hoping that we might just reach whatever it is that we're trying to reach. But here's the bottom line. It leads to breaking. That's what it ends up leading to. It leads to a life that is broken. Now, all the church people in the room, just for a moment, if you call yourself a church person, maybe you come here on a regular basis, you can kind of tune out for a second, just for a moment, okay? All the non-church people, the people that are here for the first time, or maybe you're watching online and you've never watched a church service before, I don't, I don't know what your situation is with your journey of faith, but if you're not a church person, I want you to lean in because I want to tell you a little church person secret, just for a moment. This is a secret of church people. We take this, And we religiously complicate it. Here's what we do, church people. We feel like if we do more for God, then perhaps we'll have a better standing or a better relationship with God. And then if we do that, it'll end up being that God thinks better of us. We don't just do it with other people in our culture, family members, people that we work with. But church people, religious people, we like complicated, and i 'm the worst offender at this, the worst see because i I grew up in a church family. My dad has been a pastor for like a hundred years he 's not actually quite that old he 's seventy something, but he 's been a pastor a long time, in fact he 's what In the church world, they call it church planter. So they start churches and then they get them going and they hand them over to somebody else and they start another one and they do this. So I was like born in church, raised in church. And honestly, I have complicated my relationship with God just like this for years. And it worked for me for a long time. For a long period of time, it worked for me. If I did more for God, if I served Him more, then people said great things about me and I thought that maybe God thought more of me because of all the things that I was doing for God and I would hopefully have a better relationship with God because of all the external things that I was doing for him. In fact it led me to a church in Colorado that Chloe mentioned before that saw some great things happen while we were at that church some amazing things. God allowed us to see the church grow numerically, the people that show up on a Sunday morning in a significant way. We more than tripled the amount of little groups, you call them connect groups or small groups here at, at Suncoast, and more than tripled the amount of people that were in these groups in the first two years that I was a part of the church. And then we saw this movement. We did this kind of four campaign at the church, just like you guys are doing for the coast. We did that in Colorado Springs, not only did our church get excited and get behind it, but over a number of years more than a hundred churches in our city got behind this four movement of loving the city the most incredible thing but all externally focused and I'm telling you right now that during those years I got to a point not just of bending but of actually breaking everything was up and to the right everything was great at the church everything was great in my family life everything was great in our marriage but there was a night that I remember so clearly in the midst of all these externally great things that were happening in the life of our church and in our own lives personally I was so frustrated so angry with what was going on in our lives even though things were seemingly great on the outside my wife, Kristen, and I went for a walk around our neighborhood, and I remember taking off my glasses at the time. I was so angry, I snapped them in half, and I was swearing to God. Like, you know, King David in the Psalms, we like kind of clean it up a little bit, and we don't put the swear words in, but I'm guaranteeing David dropped a few F-bombs. Guarantee it. When he was writing in his journal. They didn't get into our version of it, but I kind of feel like he was pretty darn honest with God about how he was feeling. And that's how I was that night, and I realized that I needed some help. Here I was leading a church, a movement that was supposedly loving the city, but on the inside, I was not just bending, I was breaking, and I was angry with God finally reached out to a friend of mine who was a pastor in a city north of us, about an hour north in the city of Denver. And he gave me the name of two or three different guys that had kind of been on the whole pastoring journey and church leadership journey and had lived the Christian life a long time and helped people that were messed up and screwed up like me. So I reached out to one of them, a guy named Lance Witt. And Lance began to meet with me on a regular basis And he began to share with me some truths that have literally transformed my life. And I'm so grateful. Lance, he shared with me this idea, and even if you're not a church person, even if you're not sure about the Bible, you're not sure about the whole Jesus thing, like he died, he was buried, and then he came back to life, like I get that, that's a stretch. But here's the deal. Jesus can transform anybody's life even the most churchy person like me, and even a person that's never been to church in their life. He has the power to do it. And if just for a moment this morning, you might be willing to lean in, even if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, I have a feeling he wants to help you too. Here's what Lance shared with me. He shared with me this idea of what he calls soul care. I love Lance's definition. says, Jason, soul care is all about tending, to the garden of your inner life. Notice the difference. See, for 40 years, I had been tending to the garden of the external life, but I'd never really paid attention to the garden of my internal life. Here's what I discovered over the last few years. It's been about four or five years now. I've discovered that the health of your internal life will eventually be revealed in your external life like snapping your glasses, screaming out at God, yelling at your kids or some other place where you feel like it's safe and not everybody will see it. But internally, something's messed up and eventually your internal health will be revealed in your external life as well. Jesus speaks into this in such a powerful, powerful way because this is not a new problem This is not something that's just showed up in the last 50 years or so because of the busyness of our culture and the busyness of our lives and the incoming technology that kind of overwhelms us and makes our lives incredibly noisy. This is an issue that humanity has struggled with since the very beginning, including churchy people, including those that kind of complicated a little bit more than the average person like I have. Jesus, when he was with his followers... Those, that small group of guys, those first disciples in the first century, he would travel around, and I love the way that Jesus traveled. He walked everywhere he went. You never really hear a story of Jesus running anywhere. He was never in a hurry. He just walked around with his followers from town to town, and this a story that one of his followers recorded for us, a guy named Luke. He talks about as they were walking and journeying back to Jerusalem, they came into a little village. And they were welcomed, they were invited into the home of a couple of famous ladies. Even if you've never read the Bible before, you maybe have heard the story of a guy named Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, walked out of a tomb after he'd been dead for several days. He had a couple of sisters, Mary and Martha. And we're going to pick up how Luke describes the story in Luke chapter 10. Up on the screen, here's the way it is described by Luke. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Jesus. Now, this wasn't just like a, you know, hey, come on over for dinner. This was like, hey, come and stay with us. If you need anything, you can hang out here for a period of time. Jesus didn't book like hotel room blocks for him and his crew when they showed up in town for a crusade or anything like that. He just went from town to town and whoever opened their home to him and welcomed him, they would stay there for a period of time. Martha decided to open her home to Jesus and starts with a little bit of a dinner party in fact Luke goes on to tell us this part of the story she and her sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said as Martha was out preparing dinner now this sitting at the Lord's feet piece don't miss this piece this is super important because here's what happened in the first century people like Jesus Jesus was a rabbi he was a teacher People like Jesus might go to someone's home and most of the time people wanted to sit on either side of the rabbi because that was a place of honor. That was a place that would have been kind of seen by all of the other people, kind of back to our external focus again. People wanted to be seen in a place of honor sitting next to one of these rabbis. People wanted to be seen next to Jesus. But notice Luke records for us the details of this story. I love this about Luke. By the way, if you're not familiar with the Bible and not familiar with the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, we actually have four accounts of the life of Jesus, four biographies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You may be heard of them as the Gospels before. Luke tells us at the beginning of his biography, the beginning of his account that many people have written about Jesus. But I'm writing to you because I want to give you a detailed, accurate account of exactly what happened. Here's another thing to notice is that Luke is the only person of the four that records this particular story. And he writes in this story, don't miss this, this is key. That Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. People that were a disciple or a student of a rabbi would sit at their feet not next to them. They would sit at their feet because they were not just a student, but one of my favorite descriptions of the word disciple or the best translation I think is this word apprentice. They would sit at the feet of their rabbi not just to hear the lessons that the rabbi taught, but they wanted to understand and take on the lifestyle that the rabbi lived. Not just the lessons, but the lifestyle as well. And I'm convinced from my own experience that just trying to live out the lessons that Jesus taught is impossible if you don't take on aspects of his lifestyle as well. Nearly impossible. Mary knew that. Martha was busy, though. Luke goes on to tell us Martha was busy and she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made for the dinner. So much so that she was kind of frustrated. (laughs) She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? This is kind of impressive, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know that I would have shown up and talked to Jesus this way, but Martha was confident. She was confident. I don't know what her personality type was. Maybe she's an aide on the Enneagram, a bit of a challenger, who knows? But she came up and she kind of laid it on to Jesus. Hey, don't you care? Tell my sister to come and help me. And then listen to Jesus' response. Martha, Martha the lord answered you are worried and upset about many things but few things are needed or i love this indeed only one and then jesus doubles down he doubles down and tells martha and mary has actually chosen the better what is better and will that will not be taken from her here's what i think jesus is saying to Martha, here's what I think Jesus is saying to Jason. And here's what I think Jesus is saying to all of us in 2021, halfway through the year. Being with Jesus is actually greater than doing for Jesus. It is. And I'm not, I'm not looking for an applause, I'll tell you right now. That's the last thing I'm looking for. I'm hoping for people to walk out today and say, I'm going to live differently for the second half of this year. Or maybe I'm going to live differently for the second half of my life. I know for me, I wrote this on my whiteboard about four years ago, living in Colorado Springs. And I said, I'm 40 years old at the time. I said, I want the second half of my life to be marked by being with Jesus more than doing for Jesus. Because if I don't, I won't just bend, I'm going to break. I will. And so I want to share with you, as we wrap up, I want to share with you just a couple of things that have been ridiculously helpful for me in this idea of sitting at Jesus' feet, of being with him more than doing for him. Because Jesus said it this way. He said, "I am the vine, and you're the branches." If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. What Jesus is actually saying, if you being with me is greater than you're doing for me, the doing for me stuff will take care of itself. And then I love this line. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. God, do anything. Jason, you've been working your tail off for me all these years. I've been watching you Labor and work hard at trying to build a church and do all these things for me. And all the while, I've just been waiting for you to finally realize that I actually don't want you or need you to do anything for me. I wanna do something through you. And so Jesus has begun to kind of teach me a few things and I'm nervous about even sharing these things with you. And I'll tell you why I'm nervous. I'm nervous because oftentimes... When I talk about these things, I feel like people walk away thinking more of me than I really am. So I'm nervous to even share them with you. I'm nervous for another reason. Here's the other reason. I'm nervous because sometimes when you look at these practices that put us us in a position at the feet of Jesus, we begin to worship the practices instead of the person. And that's a failure on our part. So here's just a few things that have been super helpful for me and I hope that they may be helpful for you as well. The first thing that has begun to help me be in a position of being at the feet of Jesus is starting to practice this idea of silence and solitude on a regular basis. In fact, I do it every day now. I remember the first time I ever sat down to spend just two minutes in a bit of silence and solitude. I put a little little timer on my watch to tell me, I think I lasted 28 seconds before I looked down at my watch. That's how crazy busy my brain is. But over time, Jesus has used this time to grow my relationship with him. And as I think about tending to the garden of my inner life, as I think about plants and how they need to have somebody tending to them, here's what silence and solitude has been for my soul. It's been like sunlight for my soul. You can't see the sun working on a plant In fact, some plants need more sunlight than others, so you might need more silence and solitude than my soul does, but here's what it's like. You can't see the silence and solitude working, but it is working in your relationship with Jesus. It's been incredibly helpful. The second thing that's been incredibly helpful for me, not just silence and solitude, but my wife and I over the last four or five years now, we've really gotten into taking a Sabbath every single week. And some of you maybe think of solitude and silence as kind of this idea of mindfulness. It's popular nowadays. It's kind of been popular in the church world for about a thousand plus years, by the way. People have been doing this since like the second, third, fourth century. Some of the best at silence and solitude, some of the best at Sabbath were those that lived closest to the time of Jesus. We can learn so much from them. But this idea of Sabbath rest every week, taking an entire 24-hour period to just put down our work for Jesus And surrender a whole day and know that he's probably going to get more done while we're resting than when we're working. Sabbath has been a major factor in our lives and it's been transformative and I think about gardening plants and I think about the idea of Sabbath is it's like watering it's that soaking in the refreshment that Jesus wants for us in our lives. The third thing that's been incredibly helpful, not just silence and and solitude, not just Sabbath, but we've also been doing, I've been doing this thing called a daily office, which is some people refer to as fixed hours of prayer where throughout the day, just taking a pause, taking a break for say five or 10, 15 minutes to just be with Jesus in the midst of the busy day, to maybe spend some time journaling, hearing from Jesus what he wants to maybe remove from your life, It's been like weeding in the garden for me. It's been like going into the garden and pulling out the stuff that no longer needs to be there, that distracts me from what Jesus really wants for me in my life. And then the final thing that I've only just recently begun to practice and it's been transformative for me is this idea. It's an old-fashioned way of reading the Bible called Lectio Divina. It simply is praying through a small passage of Scripture And reading it over and over again and kind of meditating, mulling over that same passage of Scripture and just staying in that for a period of time has been transformational in the way that I read the Bible. It's been like fertilizer, so to speak, for the garden of my soul. And so this morning, I just want to share with you, as you move into the second half of this year, my hope and my desire is that perhaps you've been focused on external things for most of 2021 so far I'm convinced that Jesus told Martha and Mary that Mary had chosen the better thing not the external but sitting at the feet of Jesus to become the person that Jesus wanted Mary to be so here's what I want to invite you to do I'd love for you to take your phone out one last time And if there's one of these four things that you're like, man, I've not really kind of learned about that or I've never practiced that, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to just pick one of them and then text that to the number that's up on the screen. Maybe you win the prize from the earlier text this morning, but maybe this is the better prize because I would love to give you Just a simple resource. Maybe it's silence and solitude that you want to explore. What does that look like to do that with Jesus? Maybe it's Sabbath. You're like, I've always heard about and I've thought about and I've dreamed about taking an entire day every week just to be with Jesus and to rest and be replenished by his goodness to us. But I've never figured out how to actually do it. I'd love to send you a simple resource for any one of these four to help you take a next step towards tending to the garden of your inner life. Here's what I love. Even though culture says even though culture says that we are marked by and measured by what we do, what we have and what other people say about us. That's not the way God looks at us. Henry Nouwen, a famous priest, he said it this way, when it comes to spiritual identity, I love this quote. He says that spiritual identity means we are not what we do, not what we have or what people say about us. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God, period. That's it. I gotta tell you, over the last several years of practicing some of these things, it has been transformative in my soul. Now every day I get up in the morning and I get up super early and I make a cup of tea. I haven't gotten super weird yet and made Jesus a cup of tea, but I'm getting close. And I go and I sit in a chair and I imagine that Jesus is sitting across the living room from me. And here's what I imagine. I imagine that he has been up all night just waiting to hang out over a cup of tea while I've been sleeping. The other thing I imagine is this, I oftentimes come in the morning asking, so what do we need to get done today? And it's almost as if Jesus says to me, Jason, Put the to-do list away. You realize I spoke this whole thing into existence, right? I don't need your help. I just want to hang out with you. That's all. I just want to be with you. And so my dream and my hope is that for the rest of 2021 and maybe even for the rest of your life, my dream and my hope is this, that you might begin to focus more on who Jesus wants you to become and less on what you need to get done. Focus on who he wants you to become. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, he wants you to become someone that's in a relationship with him so badly. Focus more on who he wants you to become and less on what you think needs to get done. I've asked the band to come and they're going to lead us in a, a short song. And one of the lines in the song, it says this, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And I don't know what through it all means for you. I don't know what 2021 has looked like for you. And I don't know what the rest of the year is going to look like for you. But here's what I do know, is that Jesus will be with you through all of it. And he's calling you, he's asking each of us that through it all, whatever all is for you, that you would keep your eyes on him sitting at the feet of Jesus. Father, we are so grateful for guys like Luke who took the time to write down the story of these two ladies hosting a dinner party and gave us those lines that said that Mary had chosen what was better and it wouldn't be taken away from her. God, I pray that in this moment, every single one of us would choose what is better, not what needs to get done, but who you want us to become. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.